0: Why don't you guys grab a seat real quick. It is so uh, good to hear you sing those truths today. It's good for us to hear each other sing those truths today. And um, I'm just really glad that that you're here today with us. We're in the middle of our summer preaching series. And uh, this morning, Pastor John O um, from Cornerstone Church in Atlanta was supposed to be here with us, but in light of everything that's gone on this week, he and us both felt like the best place for him today was to be with his congregation, a church plant there in inner city Atlanta. And so uh, we asked that uh, that if he had, you know, 15, 20 minutes just to say a word uh, to our church body, uh, what that word would be. And he said, well, how about I just uh, sit in front of my computer and turn the turn the camera on and I'll just speak a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a challenge to, uh, to your church body. And we were like, yeah, that would be absolutely amazing. So... This is what we have here. We have uh, Pastor John speaking uh, to us just from a video. And uh, as I've heard it a couple times, man, it's just been so challenging and so convicting, but also so hopeful in this time right now. So after John gets done, I'm going to come back up and uh, and then we're going to spend some time praying together and then we're going to worship together. So that's what's coming. So this is Pastor John. Let's, uh, let's watch this together.
1: Yo, Austin Stone, what's up? Uh, For those of y'all that don't know me, my name is John. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at a church plant in Atlanta. Y'all got a chance to meet Tripp last week. He's out there with me. and I was so eager to um, get to be back there with y'all today, but after the course of the past um, six days and me going back and forth with your pastors and leaders, I just really felt like, you know, with with our young church plant that's in the... In a city here in Atlanta that I just really needed to be with my church. Um, So in light of what you are getting ready to hear, um, they've asked me to just share a few words to kind of prime and shape the sermon that you're going to hear. I mean, firstly, I just want to start off and just share that uh, this week has been incredibly just difficult and frustrating for me on so many levels. I found myself conflicted with all types of uh, emotions, right, from from anger to sadness to just deep, like, hurt and, like, fear, right, to be, you know, a large African-American man that lives in the inner city of Atlanta, and to just fear that. If I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time and there is a mix-up here that there's nothing from my appearance that distinguishes me and so just all of these conflicting emotions this is probably the fifth take of this video that I've tried to do just because I don't know where to start or how to feel or how to communicate um, and so with All that being said, as we, uh, I feel like I need to do a six take, but I'm not going to do it. This is really going to be it. Uh, You know, I feel like as we're getting ready to just talk and move forward as a church and as a nation, um, I really just feel like it does need to start with prayer. And I've been increasingly disheartened by the fact that, in the midst of all of this, prayer has kind of been treated as a as a stepchild or as a foregone conclusion of, oh, yeah, 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 we're going to pray. Or folks say, well, why do you need to pray? We really need to get to work. And there's a quote that's just been etched in my mind where a famous pastor once says this, that the person who does not earnestly pray over his work must be a vain and conceited man. He acts as if he thought himself sufficient for the task and therefore needed not to appeal to God. And I don't wanna be that type of man. These past six weeks, I think the weight of all of what's gone in the world has just brought me down to my knees and reminded me that I am just a man and I don't have the tools that I need to fix things. And so in light of the message that you are getting ready to hear, I wrote down some thoughts. As you could tell by the intro, my emotions and feelings are all over the place unless I ramble on for 30 minutes. Um, I'm just gonna sit here and talk and read some about what I've written. So if it parts it feels like I'm reading, it's because I am in fact reading. Um, And so here it goes. I mean, one of the things that I've really just thought about strongly is apathy. And how the fact that uh, it, it hits us all without us trying. It's the most natural of emotions. And here's what apathy is. Apathy is not being void of feelings, as if anybody could just feel as if they don't feel anything. If emotions were cups, apathy is not an empty cup. But it's a cup that's so full of self-love that it crowds out the ability to love anybody else. And apathy, it hits us all and it's a silent killer. Not just because it leaves us inactive, but because I think it keeps us satisfied with these shallow joys, these shallow victories. And here's what I mean by shallow victory, right? You can really tell where the source of somebody's hope is by the first things that they utter when they wake up from their apathy. And you look at our country and what's going on, is that, you know, when I have to watch the videos of, you know, my black brothers and sisters being murdered in the streets, you know, when I have to just watch and be embarrassed and feel this shame as cops who put their life on the line day in and day out to protect us or murdered in the streets of Dallas, the very first thing that I feel inside that I wanna share is everybody screaming, stop fighting, why all, the, why all the fighting, why all the killing, why all the murder? And I think that when we're woken up from our apathy, we're reminded of the fact that we see just how shallow our definition of peace is. That we live in a world where they think Peace is just not fighting, and peace has never been that. That's too small. That's such an underwhelming definition of what it is that peace should be. That's not enough. That's never been uh, uh, enough. The gospel has never been content with calling peace uh, a ceasefire, right? Peace in the gospel is not just a ceasefire, but it's the ability to look at people that were formerly foes, and call them family. And I think that the shallow definition of peace just reminds us, and I hope it cautions us, it sobers us to be reminded of just how shallow a pursuit of diversity is. Diversity as an end goal, because what we're starting to see right now is that it's very possible and probable to be diverse and still divided, right? That's the natural outcome of diversity. It's division. And so what I don't want to do is I don't want to romanticize the concept of diversity. America is the most diverse country in the history of the world, but it's so divided. And unity with uniformity is such an easy thing because it plays into our natural disposition to be apathetic to the minority or to the little guy or to the guy with a small voice and that's why apathy is so frustrating because it blinds us and it makes us think that we're at peace just because there's a cease fire and that's just not true that's shallow that's not what the gospel provides that's not what our god who created each of us wants from us and wants for us. And so here's what he wants from us. He wants us, specifically as a church, to fight for unity. And that begins with the people of God in prayer. Prayer is significant and it's important work. And, you know, it's amazing how, when you go through the Gospels, you see just how many times people call Jesus teacher and just how few times they actually ask him to teach them anything. But the beauty is the one time in the gospel where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to do something. The one time that a group that finds themselves in the midst of an oppressive government asked Jesus to teach them how to do something. They ask him to teach us how to pray. And what I love is that as Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, he starts off with these two words, And these two words have just governed my thoughts and my prayers for these past six days. And those two words are our Father. There's not a single singular pronoun in the whole Lord's Prayer. And it's all meant to remind us that when we come and when we pray to God, even if we pray by ourselves, it's never meant to be an individualistic exercise we're meant to be reminded of the fact that as sure as we're a part of God's family, God's family is much bigger than people that just look like us. That in relating to God, we're reminded that the most basic and fundamental instinct of the human heart, the reflex of somebody that's been created with the dignity to be able to relate to God, the starting point is supposed to be that we're reminded of the fact that we are a part of a larger family. Would it be reminded of the fact that the first hindrance to relationship with God, the first time that God said something was not good, was not in Genesis 3 when man sinned. But it was in Genesis 2 when man was by himself and the person that God created for Adam was somebody that was very much like him, but somebody that was very much different. Unity has always been at the heart of the Bible and the gospel and God's plans for the world. So much so that when we talk about praying to God, in Matthew five, we're given an example that if there's two people that are at beef and one person wants to go to church on a Sunday and pray to God, but he knows that there's somebody that has been offended by something that they've done, he doesn't even ask us to determine the validity of the fence. But he says, go and make things right. Unity is not just a peripheral aspect of the gospel, something that we can work towards later, but it's foundational so much so that if we don't have it and we come to pray, God says the only way that you can come to pray is through being unified. And if you don't have it, then pray that God would give us the grace to unify towards those ends. And we have to be reminded of the fact, the thing that I desperately just feel and it's broken my heart as I've been online and just seen the honesty of the human heart is that everybody feels as if it's the responsibility of the offender to make things right. And the problem with sinful humanity is that all of us are going to feel justly offended, and rightly so, by something that somebody else has done to us. And the only way that this gets resolved in the world that we live in is through War, that's the only outcome. If everybody's offended and waiting on the offender to come and to say what's wrong, then it gets a point where it just becomes too much and they would rather live in a world without them. But the beauty of the gospel is this. It gives us a better hope. Reconciliation. Is not the responsibility of the offender but it's the responsibility of the offended. Ephesians 4 tells us to be kind to one another and to forgive one another as Christ forgave us and that's what he did. A God that was infinitely offended by all wrongdoing didn't make an apology a prerequisite to offer forgiveness. He took the initiative and he forgave us so that all of us that say that we're Christians don't spend our time trying to prove how somebody was wrong for what they did to us. But we offer that grace. And that's the beauty of what takes place in Christianity and why there's a unity that exists in the gospel that is different and unique from the rest of the world. It's that very thing that God wants to use when the rest of our world gets tired and goes to hell because of all of the things that have been done wrong. When they get tired and so exhausted, they can look at us and see something different. This is the model that God gives to his children, to all of us, and this is the mission that we have. And so here's what that looks like in the church. Here's what threatens that. In the church, you and I tend to feel like there's so many things outside that we have to fight. But as, as you look through the gospel, as you look through Acts, there are two times in the book of Acts where the whole church shuts it all down and says, we have to do something. It's in Acts 6 and in Acts 15. And that doesn't take place when they feel themselves persecuted from the outside world. It doesn't take place when the world is at war with itself. It doesn't take place as they're trying to defend their religious liberty. The two times that it takes place is when there's disunity in the church. Unless you absolve yourself here and think that the This unity that's being referred to is overt racism. That's easy to spot. That's not going to be the thing that rips apart the church. Here's what's going to be the thing that rips apart God's church and just works as the small tear in the fabric that seeks to rip the tapestry of what God has been weaving throughout all eternity. It's not overt racism. It's apathetic oversight. It's us being so consumed in our own worlds that we don't give a thought to the little guy, to the small voice. In Acts chapter 6, what takes place is you have a minority group that's in the church, Greek widows, who feel that the church has been guilty of this apathetic oversight when it comes to their most basic of needs food staying alive and what they said was we've been passed over Greek lives matter and the church didn't come uh, Peter and them didn't come through and respond with all lives matter but they said, yes, this is an issue, so let's make sure that nobody comes into this church and feels as if, just because I'm the small guy here, just because I don't look like the majority of the dominant culture, the God of the dominant culture doesn't care about me. If that takes place, and it's not terrorists that tear uh, apart the, the church but it's the thoughtlessness of you and I that get so consumed in our own worlds that we neglect the most basic emotions of people that are right there, however small of a population that they form. And so what that church did is what your church in Austin needs to do, is what our church in Atlanta is praying through and preaching through right now is that we need to fight for unity. And one of the ways that this takes place is this, and I just want this to be very, very clear. You do not need all the facts in order to grieve ferociously over lost life. It's wicked and it's hurtful to feel like Christians. Won't grieve over my kinsmen according to the flesh until they have all of the facts. It's only a cold soul that needs additional facts in order to grieve over the known fact that kids will grow up without parents. Girlfriends have to watch their boyfriends bleed out to death, that a four year old has to see a father get killed and then be taken off into the arms of strangers. The cops who are protecting people's freedom and right to protest don't feel safe. And if you don't know what to say, then say that. Say, I don't know what to say, but something has to be said, silence screams, Apathy, silence screams I don't care. Silence doesn't scream I don't know. Do you know what screams I don't know? I don't know, And we all can say that and grieve and mourn as a family. We wanna labor to make sure that the little guy in the sea of a dominant culture in your church never has grounds to say that I don't think that their God cares about me. You want them in your presence to be able to say, our Father, and feel the same care and concern that you do when you utter those words. I love you guys and I desperately wish that I could have been there with you, but this is a time that I had to be with my family My wife is from Austin, I'm from Houston. I sincerely believe Texas is the greatest country in America and I'll be there with you to praise our Father one day soon. But until then, let's be reminded of God's gracious providence to us and that he gives us very ordinary, simple things to tackle the most frustrating realities. And that's why week in and week out We come in to remind ourselves of this hope that we have in the gospel. And so as you sing today, as you pray, as you hear God's word and the call for unity to all of us, don't let that be a passing statement. Don't let, like, we're praying that the dark clouds would leave, but we pray that the sobriety doesn't go anywhere. I love you guys, and I'm grateful that we all have the same Father with family, let's present a picture to the world that causes them to see how shallow their hopes really were. Peace isn't a ceasefire. Peace is calling one another family. And that's what we get to do as a church. Love you guys. See you soon.
0: Well, church, what we're gonna do uh, together today is we're gonna respond by actually praying together and um, I love how John put so much emphasis on the response being centered on praying together as the body of Christ. And so we're streaming this to all of our campuses today so that we're all praying with, with a common and, uh, and unified voice today. Um, let me say this before we begin our, our time of prayer. As a father of three black kids, this has hit really hard and very close to home for me. And my wife and as a friend, uh, to many police officers here in the city of Austin, like officer Barnes and officer Evoy and several others, this has hit very hard and very close to home for me and really for anybody in this room or any of our other campuses, this should hit really hard and close to home. Why? Because every single one of these lives that have been lost this week are image bearers of God. Like they are all lives that counted, they're lives that matter. So it should be heavy for all of us as we respond in prayer today, as we plead for the God of justice to bring justice, for the God of healing to bring healing, not just to our city, but to every single city in our country. As I saw cell phone videos of black men killed in Baton Rouge and Falcon Heights, I was grieved as I saw an ambush on police officers in Dallas. I was filled with grief and the right and the godly response for us to do together as a family is to join together with one voice and to pray. So here's how we're gonna do it. I'd like for you guys to join together in groups of four or five. And I realize you might be next to a complete stranger. So there might be all kinds of anxiety that comes up right now as you're thinking about, I don't know this person and I'm not really comfortable with praying out loud. Let me, let me just say this, if you're new here with us and the thought of praying out loud with a complete stranger on a Sunday morning just, just buckles you, man, feel the freedom, feel the liberty today just to, uh, to echo the prayers of those around you, to affirm them in your heart, to just agree with them. You don't have to say anything, but your heart can agree with what the man or woman next to you is praying. And if you're the person that's praying out loud, the challenge I wanna give you today is to pray boldly, to pray out loud, to pray with fervency, to pray with urgency, to pray with belief in your heart that the God that can actually do all this stuff is hearing every single word that you say. You don't have to have smart words. You don't have to have the best words. You don't have to have the most eloquent words. You just have to say something because God hears your heart. He hears your voice today. So here it is, go ahead in this room and all of our other campuses today, go ahead and find four or five people around you. You can literally just like move your chair or step out into the aisle, meet a new friend, meet your prayer partner, and then I'll lead us. All right, let's get started. First thing we're going to pray for is we are going to pray for the families who have lost their loved ones this week. One of the most prevalent aspects of the violence we see around us is the attempt at invisibility. As though those who were killed might have been lives that didn't matter. And the Bible tells us to weep with those who weep black and biracial families in our church, in our city, in our nation are weeping right now. The families of police officers are weeping right now. So we can't allow ourselves as the body of Christ to grow numb. We can't allow ourselves to be silent. So we have to weep. We have to care because God says we must. So with a sense of weeping with those who weep today, we're gonna pray for the families of those Whose lives were lost. and We're going to pray for them by name. So here are the names of those who died in Baton Rouge, Falcon Heights, and Dallas. Take a moment and just look up here. We're going to pray for their families, their loved ones. And we're going to pray not just that they would be comforted, although we're going to pray for that, but we're also going to pray that justice would be served and that others, whether police officers protecting a rally or African-American young men in any given city in America would no longer be unjustly killed, okay? So let's pray for that. Let's pray out loud. And then I'll pray and move us to the second prayer point. You are the great comforter. And we ask right now as your sons and your daughters that you would bring peace and you would bring comfort in a time where comfort and peace is desperately needed. It's what you do. It's who you are, God. It's, it's the very nature of your character that you comfort broken that you mend what's been destroyed. So we're asking as a believing people, as very proud sons and daughters of a good father, we're asking that you would do that. That you would reveal yourself in such a very real tangible way that these families would, would come to know you, Jesus. That they would see the beauty and the hope and the healing of knowing you, Jesus. We ask for that, we plead for that on their behalf. Jesus, it's in your name we pray, amen. Well, like John said, apathy is something that hits all of us. Right now, we all have eyes that are wide open. Right now there's fire, there's fervency, but one of the fears is that months from now, that fire and fervor might somehow be lost. In times of disunity, hear this, in times of disunity, God has called the church to model unity. In times of fear, God has uniquely called the church to be courageous. See, many right now are fearful that the violence that we've seen this week and weeks before is a sign of fracturing American social fabric. And that might actually be true but you and I are a part of a different kingdom. Like we're a part of a kingdom that outlasts our current tragedies. We're a part of a kingdom of hope. We're a part of a kingdom of love. We're a part of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. We are the church. We have a different kingdom. So listen how the prophet Amos charges the people of God, the church. This is how he charges them to respond to injustice. He says this, Amos chapter five, I hate, I despise your feasts and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. The only thing this church cared about was singing. They neglected justice. So the prophet Amos says this, but instead let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. So our second prayer today is we're gonna ask that God would form our church into the model of reconciliation and unity. While everybody else says, hey guys, let's stop fighting. Let's pray that we would actually model what it looks like to be the family of God, a family that urgently seeks to reconcile, to unify and to forgive. Okay, let's pray that we as the church would rise up and model reconciliation and unity. Let's pray now. God, we know that your intent for your church, for your bride, is to model this. And so we're asking for for your spirit, God, to empower us to be men and women who seek reconciliation, who crave unity, who are quick to forgive, quick to embrace. God, I pray that when when the world sees us, when the world sees the church, that they would just be mesmerized by a group of people who do it differently, who think differently and act differently. I pray that our church right here in Austin, Texas, the Austin Stone, you, God, would form us into such a visible light and representation of the gospel, that it would be undeniable that you are our king, that we have a different way of doing things. We have a different King. God, do that work in us. We ask you, we trust that you will. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, amen. Lastly, guys, we're gonna pray for this. We're gonna pray for the gospel of Jesus to change hearts and to move us all to repentance. Thousands of years ago, the prophet Isaiah wrote this about Jesus. Isaiah 61 says this, this is about Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to comfort all who mourn, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Listen, Jesus Christ is the only hope for rebuilding the ruins of our cities and our society. Only Jesus offers the hope for us to ever live in any sort of environment of peace and love and justice. See, the peace of God was on Jesus, the love of God flowed from Jesus, and the justice of God rolled down on Jesus when he died on the cross for our sins. Jesus was then raised from the dead, showing us that only Jesus has the power to transform a human heart. And only a community of hearts that are transformed by Jesus can transform a community from a war zone to a peace zone, only Jesus. So we must remember that the gospel of Jesus addresses every single one of our very real life issues. See, racial injustice is a gospel issue for us. Respect for civil authority is a gospel issue for us. So let's pray, let's pray that the gospel of Jesus, the story of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, it would be spoken with grace and with truth our city into our nation, okay? Let's pray that God would make us into a people that think gospel thoughts, that live gospel actions, and speak gospel words. Let's pray for that. Let's pray that the gospel of Jesus would change hearts and move us to repentance, okay? Jesus, we know that, that your gospel is, is not just the best news, but it's the only news that changes us and affects us. Jesus, we know that your way is not just the best way, it's the only way forward. Jesus, you said that you are the way, you are the truth and you are the life. And so we're asking, Jesus, you would make your name known. You would make your way known in this city, in this country. It's the gospel that changes hearts. So we pray you would use us to speak your gospel, to show what your gospel looks like. You would use us to be men and women of action, men and women who are constantly pointing to how great and how good you are, Jesus. It's the only way. Would you do that work in me, do that work in us, do that work in this church. We love you. Grateful that you would. It's in your name I pray, amen. Well, Martin Luther King Jr. said this, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And we know that the love of Christ, the person of Christ has the ability to drive out darkness, to drive out hate. And so now we're we're gonna do this, we're gonna sing our prayers. We're gonna sing to him, we're gonna worship him, we're gonna exalt Jesus, we're gonna lift up the name of Jesus because Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the only hope for the city of Austin. Jesus is the only hope for the city of Dallas. Jesus is the only hope for Falcon Heights. Jesus is the only hope for Baton Rouge. Jesus is the only hope for our nation. So with one loud voice, let's exalt and lift up the name of our only hope, Jesus, right? Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing. Jesus, I'm so grateful that you would bring us together for this specific moment in time right here, just to come before you and plead with you to do what you really want to do. Thank you for the opportunity to come before your throne, Jesus, with with confidence, without fear, but to confidently plead for you to make yourself known, to heal and mend. God, we know that you're good. You are mysterious. We don't always know why things happen but what we can cling to is that you are good. Remind us of that today. Remind us of what our hope is found in, of who our hope is found in. We love you, Jesus. We're grateful to know you and be known by you. It's in your name we pray.
2: for the fatherless we pray be the father let those who lost their way be understood Our up are open. Come-